All right. Morning, family. Everybody good today? All right. Four of you. It's like the same four every week, though, so at least we're consistent on that. Come on, if you're thankful to be in the house of God, we're getting ready to get in the Word. Come on, now. Man, that worship was good. I don't know. If you didn't like it, you're going to hate this church because it's just, I mean, I feel like we just, like, you're dismissed. Go home. See you later. That was good. Uh, Man, we're in the year of the Bible. If y'all haven't met yet, my name is James. I'm the pastor here. So glad if you're visiting with us today. We are in a one-year series, uh, reading through the one-year Bible, through Bible apps, and, and then uh, we've got actually the reading plan for this week. It should be in all of your seats. Take that with you so you can keep up uh, through that. And uh, we are in John right now in New Testament. I'm, I'm going to be looking at, at John chapter 6 today. Uh, and I will, I just want to preface this by saying a lot of times we come in here and, you know, uh, we love to laugh, we have, love to have a good time because you should be able to do that in church, amen. Uh, but, but today I will say the message, it, it might be a little more punchy than normal, okay. I'm just telling you, I'm just warning you right now, but I do want to preface by saying that this is never, no, no, nothing that you hear is ever meant to be like, man, you, you better get this, you know, like a finger poking into your chest. This is, but, but from time to time, we read through the word, it is challenging. From time to time, when, when God, because of his love, and he, when he gives us a word, uh, it, it, sometimes it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, okay? And, and I just want to let you know, this word is going to be a little bit like that today, okay? So if that already makes you feel uncomfortable, you can pretend like you had to go to the bathroom or whatever, but, uh, but we, it, it is going to be good. God's going to speak to us. But in John chapter 6, man, Jesus has been already doing a lot of ministry, healing people. It's been incredible, uh, you know, the lame, the blind, feeding thousands of people miraculously. And there's thousands of people following Jesus around. Uh, and, and that's great, and, but there's also hundreds of people that are trying to pursue being the disciples of Jesus, hundreds of them. A lot of times we, we know of the 12, but there were hundreds of people that wanted to call themselves fully devoted followers of Jesus, his disciples. And so at the end of John chapter 6, the beginning of it, some miracles, some cool stuff there, we're going to focus in towards the end of John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking to these disciples, and he is getting right to the heart of the core of their motives. Like, why are you here Are you here for the right reasons? That's what he's getting at. So verse 47, verse 47. By the way, we just reached reading a third of God's word together as a church. Come on, we're doing good. It's doing well. I hope you're enjoying it. If you haven't uh, started, it's not too late to start. If you got behind, it's okay. I get behind sometimes too. Just catch up and, uh, and we'll keep going together. Verse 47. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Now, we remember reading about that in Exodus where God was providing bread from heaven, but that's under the law and under the old covenant. And Jesus, once again, is reiterating, I am the completion of that law. I am the new covenant. Amen? And so anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread... Which, will offer, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Okay, so that's getting pretty tough. So he reiterates that. We'll go on, pick back up in verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? 
Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? Are you going to quit on me too? See, I want to talk about how to finish strong, how to finish well. Every year in Alaska, there's this big endurance race. And it's called the Adidas Sport, and it is a cross-country skiing race. It goes over 170 miles, incredibly difficult terrain, horrible conditions. Now, this last year, just a few months back, there is this guy named Jim Jaggers. And Jim Jaggers is a professional skier. He does this. He does the Olympics, all that. He was way ahead. He's 120 miles in, and he was almost two hours ahead of the next closest competitor. But at that point, 120 miles in, 50 miles left, he starts getting discouraged. He starts slowing his pace. Before you know it, he's just falling apart. He's falling apart mentally, emotionally, physically. And he went that and was just at a snail pace for just a little bit. And then he got to where there was 30 miles left. 30 miles left. He had slowed so much that the next closest competitor passed him. And when that happened, he broke. He just broke. He stopped. He pulled out his sleeping bag. He curled up in it on the side of the trail and quit. He fell asleep. When he was interviewed about it, he just said, that un- that I was undone. It just broke me. Just quit. 30 miles left, and he just quit. You ever wake up in the day, and you know that you've got a lot to do? you got a lot to do in your job, with your family. You might have had some plans and all that, but, man, you just don't feel like you've got it. I mean, you just feel like, man, I I just want to curl up and go to sleep and quit on this deal. Because you're exhausted, you're fried, you're worn out. You're overstretched. This happens so often in our Christian walk. I see this all the time. The longer I am in ministry, I get to see people that, man, they seem to be doing so well, but before you know it, they're waving the white flag and they're just curled up on the side of the trail, not running their race anymore. Christian life is a race. You've probably heard it say that that living as a Christian is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I'd go a step further to say it's actually a relay, like a really, really long one. At the end of the day, it's not just how we ran our race, but it's how we're handing it off to the next generation. It's how we hand it off to our kids. It's how we hand it off to the next person that we lead to the Lord. This is a, it's a relay, but it's a long race. It's a difficult race. And I will say this, it isn't like you've got a race to run, it's you're in it right now. You're in the race right now. The question is, 
Are you hitting your stride? Are you getting your pace? Are you barely moving? Or are you on the side of a trail, curled up in a sleeping bag, sleeping? Just quit on the race altogether. Really, it isn't how you start the race, and you've heard this too. It's how you finish it, right? God would rather you start slow and finish than start off really fast and not finish at all. There's parables about that too. There's people that get really passionate about the things of God who are just going like crazy, but they don't get roots, they don't get discipled, and so they don't last. God would rather you be able to sustain your pace for your race in relationship with him. The Bible is full of people that did not finish well. Actually, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary did a study on this where he began to write down every person that was mentioned by name in the Word of God and wrote them down into two categories, those that finished well and those that did not finish well. Two-thirds of the people mentioned by name in the Word of God did not finish well. That's not the most encouraging thing for us today. It just proves that we need Jesus. It just proves that we're going to need something bigger than ourselves. We're going to need an eternal truth if we're going to finish our race. And my prayer for you and our hope for you would be that you will run your race to the best of your ability by the grace of God, by his word, that one day you'll be able to enter into heaven and you'll stand before your heavenly father and you'll hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's the thing. I'm not even sure that every person that makes it into heaven gets to hear that from God. I think it really depends on how you run and finish your race. There are a lot of people in the Bible that they started well and then stalled, but then finished well. There's a lot of people that were like that. Moses, great example. Abraham, David, Peter. Here's the deal. Not everybody in this room had the opportunity to start your race strong. But every single person in this room has the opportunity to finish strong. Because you're alive. You have an opportunity. No matter what has happened in your past, do not live life in the rearview mirror. You have an opportunity to finish strong the life and the purpose that God has set before you. Amen? I want to learn from those that didn't last. I want to learn from those people. So this is what happened. Jesus is really popular around this portion of his ministry, right? And the people around him are like, man, this is awesome. Jesus, heal the man. That's awesome. Go, Jesus. Heal the little boy. What, what, Jesus? Feed the 5,000. Oh, three for three. This dude is awesome. They're all excited. And then he says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? <laughs> Jesus, you were doing so good. <laughs> cool, and like, you know, we were all full, and this was awesome, and everybody felt good about it, and then you go and say something like that, and like, totally mess the whole thing up. That just is, what? That's hard. That's hard to understand. That doesn't really make sense. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They looked at Jesus in verse 60, and basically said, this teaching is hard. It's just difficult. But here's the thing. It wasn't the teaching that was hard. Their hearts were hard. 
their hearts were hard. Look, if you're ever reading through the Word or you hear something and you're just like, oh, I don't really like that. Mm. That's just, that that make me feel good. And I like to feel good. So I don't really like that. You have to ask yourself the question, is it the teaching that isn't good or is it your heart that isn't good? Because you're either going to say, well, the things that Jesus is saying, just that, that, that teach, I, well, I like that teaching. <laughs> that teaching's nice, but I'm just going to kind of get my own Bible. I don't need that chapter. I don't need that page. It's going to, the, the New James translation. That's what I like. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy. When you look at some of the things that Jesus said, it's difficult. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good to them. Mm-mm. That ain't in my translation. I'm going to take that one out. It's your heart. See, it's so, for so many people in Jesus' ministry, it started with come and see. Come and see. Miracles, walk, walk on water, feeding people, people getting healed. But then he flips the script and he changes it from come and see to come and die. Die to yourself. You can't live life selfish. This isn't all about you. This is about eternity. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about souls. Problem was, man, when he went from come and see to come and die, that was just like, people were just like, no, I didn't. It just shook them to their core. Notice it says this, in verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept this? Did you catch the word disciple? I mean, it, if it's in the word, that it, it, it has to be true. So he's saying that these people that were genuinely wanting to be fully devoted followers of Christ heard this. And they're like, mm, I don't think so. Like he is giving them the words of eternal life. They want to argue with him. And they begin to murmur about this. And they begin to complain about this. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Look, there's a huge difference between questioning and complaining. There's a huge difference between questioning the truth and complaining about the truth. Because the disciples, the 12 especially, they were always questioning about the truth. Like, God, Jesus, I, I don't get, what does that mean? This parable, you got sowers, you got seeds, and all this. Like, what does that mean? He'd sit down and he'd explain it to him. He didn't have a problem with people questioning the truth. These people didn't have a question about the truth. They were trying to change the truth. They were complaining about the truth because they didn't like how the truth fit for them. So they wanted to change it. And there's a big difference there. And he sees this happening, and he asks the question, does this offend you? This is a great word picture here. Because the word offend in the original language was the exact same name for an important piece of a trap that they would use to catch animals. There was this curved stick, and when the animal would hit the, cur- the curved stick, the trap would activate and catch the animal. And it was the exact same name, the word offend in the name for this stick. 
So basically he's saying, does the truth trap you? Does the truth kind of rub your flesh the wrong way? Side note, if you carry around offense with people, their issue, their issue is not them. The issue is you just gave them control over your life. You surrendered control of your emotions, of your flesh. You surrendered control to that person. And he's basically saying, does this, does this not sit well with your selfish, narrow-minded flesh? He knew it didn't. Jesus was kind of like on the edge of sarcastic every once in a while. Like, oh, I'm sorry, did that offend you? You didn't like how that sounded to you? They were complaining. I just love how Jesus doesn't always tiptoe around our issues. You know, every once in a while, maybe you get around family, you get around friends, and they're just like, oh, man, somebody needs to say something, but you're going to get mad, and that... We're just trying to have a meal, and I don't want things to get awkward, uncomfortable. I love how Jesus, sometimes he just goes right for the jugular. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us enough to say something. Because he loves us enough to know that if there's this thing in our life that we don't surrender to him, we don't get to actually live life. We don't get it. We don't get to experience what he has for us. Verse 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the father gives them to me. Here's the answer though. This is the part of this that they couldn't handle, that they couldn't. Except, in the NIV it says it this way, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. In the NLT, the reading it out, the spirit alone gives eternal life, human effort accomplishes nothing. Man, they just didn't like that. Like, I, know, I, want to control the, my, I want to control the outcome. I like having the control of the outcome of my life. I want to talk about some of the reasons why people don't finish. People can fall away. First of all, some people never move beyond curiosity to commitment. They never move beyond curiosity to commitment. For a lot of the people, it's like really interesting to them. It was almost kind of trendy, kind of a fad. It's like, what y'all doing? We're going to see Jesus. Us too. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. But they love to just kind of be on the fringes, right? On the edge of what Jesus was doing. Like, okay, I'll take some of the bread and fish. I like some of that. But they just wanted to stay on the edge and the fringe of what God was doing, of what Jesus was doing. In verse 26, after he'd done this miracle feeding the 5,000, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, if you're looking, you are not looking for me. Sorry, you are looking for me, not because you saw the, thing, the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They never said, I'm going to commit my life to this. They just hung around the edges to get the benefits of what Jesus could do for their life. You can't meet with Jesus on the edges. You meet with Jesus by going close to him and committing to him. That's when Jesus touches you. When you're right in the middle of it. 
two, some never look past the temporary into the eternal. They never look past the temporary. It takes commitment, but you've got to look past the, the temporary things of life to see the eternal. Jesus feeds 5,000, and they follow him for, for free food. That's why they're following him, because they didn't see anything much more than that. In verse 27, but do not be, con- be, do not be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. I was on a, a mission trip in South America a few years ago. And we were getting ready to do a street performance. We just go into these cities and do dramas and different things like that, a lot of times in a city square. So we're setting up for this, and we just play music, try to draw people in. A lot of times kids would show up first because they're like, man, a bunch of tall white people. What, what are they doing here? And they, they'd be curious about it. And so they show up, and, and I remember getting ready to do one of these performances, and, and uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw one of the guys on our team, these college students, and he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a piece of candy and gives it to a kid. I'm like, oh, oh no, that's not good. And we actually trained him not to do this, but he, he thought he knew better. Well, you just watch this thing unfolding because this kid takes this piece of candy and goes over to his other friends and starts eating in front of him. And they're like, where do you get that? That guy right over there. So before you know it, this guy had about 20 kids swarming around him trying to get candy. I'm like, you're going to learn your lesson. You ain't going to have any candy left for you. <laughs> and we got a long trip ahead of us. It's going to be rice and beans for you the rest of the trip. They wanted the candy. So much so, it became a distraction. So someone gives up to give a testimony. We're doing a drama. We're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. These kids are focused on this guy's pockets. Like trying to pickpocket. Like trying to reach into his pockets. This guy's like paranoid. Like, get away. Stop it. Cut it out. Stop it. Some of us need to move beyond this point. God has some good things in his pockets that he wants to give us. The focus is not on what is in his pockets. His focus is on him. If you make your focus him, he'll give you everything that is good that is in his pockets. But you've got to move past the temporary to the eternal. You want the eternal blessings? Then you can't stay focused on the temporary. You have to start focusing on the eternal. It's souls. It's his purpose for your life. You focus on that, I promise. You seek first the kingdom of God, and he will add everything else unto you. Everything. But you've got to move to that place of focusing on the eternal. Another reason why they fell away is because the needs that drew people to Jesus also kept Jesus away from him. Let me explain what I mean. Most people were coming to Jesus because they had personal needs. Something in their family that they needed taken care of. Now some people, some of them came because they were called by Jesus. Some of them came because they recognized some authority. But a lot of people came because of these miraculous signs that he was doing. That's why they were coming and following him. Here's the thing. In Hebrew culture, you took one vacation a lifetime. I'm thankful we don't live in the Hebrew culture. Amen. One vacation a lifetime. Okay, so for us, it's like, you take a trip to Branson, you know, or go up to Petty Jean or, you know, Magazine Mountain, something like that. It's like, nah, not a big deal. But for these guys, they get one field trip a lifetime. This is a big deal. It's like the equivalent of like, where are you going to go for your 20-year anniversary? It's going to be good, right? And they're all saying, we're going to go and get with Jesus. But why was it so important to them? Because they needed their physical needs met. That's what they saw. They had physical needs. Like, come on, come on, we got to go see Jesus. We got some, you got that irritable bowel syndrome going on, and I'm tired of that. And get your mom, too. She's full of demons. She needs lots of deliverance. And, and we just got all these needs. We got to come to Jesus so that Jesus can fix us and heal us and take care of our physical needs. But the problem is, 
The very things that they would go to Jesus for would be the very things that would keep them from him. And it's the same thing in our lives. Because when we think that we have what we think we need fulfilled, we don't think we need God anymore. And we get into a place of complacency. And so we quit going after God because we're like, well, I don't really need God right now. Because everything, the checklist is taken care of. I got this health and I'm blessed financially and all those things. The very things that they thought they were going to Jesus for would wind up being the very things that would keep them from Jesus. Because it wasn't really what he was trying to give them. There was really two things that they wanted. They, they want to say, Jesus, we just need you to meet our needs. But we want to have complete control of our lives. And Jesus says, no, it don't work that way. God is so faithful. He's so loving. He's so gracious. Sometimes he meets needs even when we just don't even deserve it, you know? We never deserve it. But that doesn't move us towards an eternal purpose. Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you going to leave me too? Because everyone else, when they heard what he was saying, it's just like, no, this is too hard. This is too difficult. Are you going to leave me too? Look, that's a question that that God's going to ask you. You're asking yourself one season or another in your life. Are you going to quit too? Are you going to leave too? It's going to happen when... When you're in this season when it's really difficult and you're not sure what God's going to do next and so you're not sure if you want to keep waiting on him. Or someone that you respect disappoints you. Someone offends you, hurts you. You see a family member or friend started drifting away from God. There's going to be a time when you start asking yourself, is this really worth it? Am I going to quit too? And these are the seasons when you need the body of Christ. I'm convinced one of the reasons why Jim got so discouraged because he was by himself for a really long time. We need each other. You're going to hit a season where you're going to question this. And even God will be asking you, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to quit on me now? And when those seasons hit, you're going to need community. You're going to need people to come alongside of you. It's the reason why we have life groups. The reason why I have life groups is you cannot be sustained one hour out of the week and then the rest of your week be all on your own. That's not the way God designed you. Our heart would be that you would get involved in community and a life group and be around these people. And these life groups are incredible. We want, our goal is for them to love you till you want to puke. Like you're just sick of it. Like you got an issue going on in your life. They're calling again. They won't stop texting me. Driving me crazy. We've had life group leaders literally say, hey, we can't get a hold of them. Can we just go park in their driveway? I'm like, that's kind of stalkerish, but sure, you know, that's fine. Just because we, we know how important it is. There's going to be a time when some old sin's going to rear its ugly head again. Some offense, some wound in your life is going to come around and you're going to think, man, I thought I, I thought I killed that dragon. I thought that was dead and gone and and it's in those seasons you're going to need somebody to remind you of the truth. Remind you about what God says about your life. Verse 68, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Look, Peter, most of the time, was an idiot. Like every time he opened his mouth, the rest of the time was like, oh God, oh God, this is not going to be good. 
He's like that, it's like that one friend of yours that keeps getting on Facebook. And you're like, please stop typing. Please stop typing. Do not post that. Stop posting. Stop posting. That was Peter. But not this time. He nailed it. He got it right. It was Holy Spirit inspired, obviously. But he got it. He nailed it. I think these are the right questions to ask. Where else? Where else? Where else are you going to go? I feel, I feel like it's almost like Peter saying, look, Jesus, we've thought about this. I've thought about this. I've thought about this. And, and the truth is this. It is kind of hard living with you. Like you offend all the religious leaders. You're constantly hanging out with like bad center people. We have to walk a lot. We don't have any houses. There's no hotels out here. I just bread and fish, and there's a lot of it. That's good. But you say tough things, like things that are just like, ah, it's not easy to receive. And and some of it's just all out confusing. But when we've considered it all, where else would we go? Where else would we go? Look, that's 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 something that, that I've been really honest about in my relationship with God. Like, what are the alternatives? What are the alternatives? And I'll, and I'll tell you, as your pastor, there are times that I've questioned, like, man, I mean, these people are wearing me out. It's just like, come on. I hear you. Where else? I mean, there's a few bars around here now. I guess I could try. At the end of the day, I know there's nowhere else nowhere else but God. Without God, I'm nothing. And it's not false humility. I mean, I know I got some talents like interpretive dancing and, you know, and I'm like a, a phenom on the xylophone. I got some unicycle skills, no joke. Uh, and an incredibly high IQ. Just ask my wife. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus that drives me. That's where I want to be. Another question, what else? What else? What else? Peter said, you've got the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. Peter didn't say, Jesus, you fed 5,000 people and you healed this and you walked on the water. He didn't talk about all those what's. He got the right what? The word of God. You've got the word of God. I think so many of us, we're getting the what wrong. We get the what wrong. It's like Jesus plus a little bit of Dr. Phil plus a little Oprah plus a Facebook quote plus my favorite country song. And that's the what. No, listen, nothing. There is not another what out there that will sustain you other than the word of God. It's the words of Jesus Christ. It's his truth. It's his life for you. Peter saw that you have the right what? And then he also said, and all, the other good question is, who else? Who else? Peter said, you're the holy one of God. He, he's publicly declaring his faith. I think this is so important. The only time that Peter almost lost it, almost wind up checking out of his own race, almost wind up getting on the side of the trail in his own sleeping bag, was when he was standing in the courtyard of the high priest and he was confronted by some people, probably a little girl who asked him, who he really was. And he denied Jesus in that moment. 
And this would be really encouraging for all of us. Because you can have a moment of weakness. He got it right when he got face to face with Jesus again. And you can get it right too. But you got to get face to face with Jesus again. But the question is this. Are there areas of your life where you're not declaring who you belong to? Is it in your job? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it, is it around an element of your lifestyle where it's like, I had to love declaring Jesus over all this area of my life, but there's this one area that I'd really rather not declare Jesus over. I don't mind. I, I just kind of want this for myself. And I think that if you ever want to experience the life and life to full that Jesus came to offer, you've got to declare Jesus over every area of your life as the who. He is, there's no one else. And our dream for you would be that you would be able to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed in 2 Timothy. That as he got towards the end of his ministry, he looked back on his life and he said, I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I kept the faith. I kept it. You would be able to get to the end of your life and stand before God and say, man, I'm beat up. It was a battle sometimes. It was hard. And I, and I didn't run the race like everyone else did. And God didn't call you to run someone else's race. He called you to run your race. So don't worry about how fast someone else is running and how slow someone else is running. You run your race. You run your race. But every once in a while, your race may bring you across somebody who is checked out. And you be led by the Holy Spirit, but he, he might be telling you, you need to remind them. You need to pull them out of that sleeping bag. Give them a little what for and get them motivated. You need to remind them of the truth of my love and my plan and my purpose. But just run your race. Run your race. Finish strong. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. God, we do pray the prayer of Paul the Apostle. Father God, that we would fight the good fight. We'd run our race. We'd just be faithful with what you've given us. And we would keep the faith to the end. I just want to pray for anybody that might feel a little discouraged right now. Maybe you're, you feel like, man, I've slowed down, man. I'm just not running my pace anymore. I'm not running. I know I'm not. I'm, I'm creeping along and I'm, I might even be at that place where I feel like I want to just just quit on this thing. Quit on the whole going after God. Quit quit believing. Quit. I just, I'm right there at that place. And, and a lot of things bring us to that place. It's situations and circumstances. It's shame. It's a lot of different things. And here's the thing. I, I believe that we can bring these things before God and he can touch us and where we're at right here in the chair that you're sitting in. But, but if you really want to get healing, if you really want to be encouraged past that place, you're going to need to tell somebody. You're going to need to, to allow yourself to receive that encouragement and accountability that comes to the body of Christ. But if you're here today and you just need a special touch from God, because you're in that place, you're just a little discouraged. Nobody look around. If you will, just raise your hand right now all over this room. And I want to pray for you. You're discouraged. Come on, raise them high and leave them up. Father God, I pray for every person that's got their hand raised right now. Right there in their seat, God, I pray you would meet with them by your spirit. 
that you would, Spirit of the living God, be the great counselor, helper, physician. I thank you, God, that you heal them, but I thank you, Lord, that you're bringing your peace that transcends understanding. We speak to the thoughts that are setting themselves against the knowledge of who these people are in Christ Jesus, and we take them captive. We command them to fall into obedience to the truth of who they are because of your son Jesus and the blood that he shed on the cross. Receive that healing right now. Receive that encouragement. Get back on your race. Get back in your race. Find your pace. Run it. God will sustain you. God will give you what you need. If you're here today, you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you did, but, but you're at that place where you are on the side of the trail. You've gotten off track. And this morning, you need to rededicate your life to him. You just need to reestablish your need for him. If you're here and you're ready to just surrender to Jesus. Nobody looking around. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. I'm ready to come back to Jesus. I need to give my life to him. As soon as I sing, put your hand down. Got you there at the back. Got you right here. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus today. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? We had, I think, four people, maybe five people raise their hand. I just want to let you know that you can just, you can make this decision. The word says you need to go public with this decision, but right there in your seat, just talk to God. And you say, God, here's my life. And I, I first of all, I recognize I'm a sinner. But in faith, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. And I, I confess my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask that you would come and be my Lord. Be my Lord. I want to ha- give you complete control of my life. I thank you, God, that you saved me. You saved me from myself. You saved me from my sin. I thank you, God, that I have a hope for heaven. But I thank you that, that your will is that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here now in my life as it is in heaven. And I want that. So help me understand what that means by your word, by the leading of your spirit. God, I'll submit myself to, to being completely connected to the body of Christ so I can be the man or woman that you've called me to be. I thank you for that, God. I thank you that as we're in season where we can get so busy, I pray that we would we'd catch our pace. We'd find our stride. Whatever you're calling us to do, we'd run our race. We'd run our race. We'd keep our eyes focused on the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. If you're thankful for God's words, give him a hand this morning. Praise God. Let's stand. We're going to worship God with our giving. Let's go to the Psalms again from David. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. 